Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor, here to talk about another boring South Carolina basketball game, of which there have been many this year. This That's team a good is thing. it well, it, it is sometimes a good thing. It wasn't For a South good Carolina? thing. Yeah. I mean, but the Ole Miss game was kind of boring. And the Florida game was kind of boring. Point is South Carolina doesn't play a lot of close games. No. Which is kind of weird. They either get blown out or they blow the other team out. And this is a pretty comprehensive victory against Texas A&M on Saturday. They won 74 to 54, and it probably could have been like 90 to 40 if they wanted it to be. They were up yeah. 60 to 30 with about 10 minutes to go in the second half, if I remember correctly. Just absolute domination. Not a whole. I mean, there there are things to say about it, and we're going to say more things about it, but not a whole lot to say other than they just kicked the crap out of Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a bad basketball team, and South Carolina is a. An above average to good basketball team, depending on the night, and it showed. You That's- saw how uh, I guess how meaningful it was that South Carolina was down those three guys, which is is, is kind of funny in some ways because the guys that they were missing in the A and M installment of this year's home and home were Trey Hannibal, who only scored three points, TJ Moss, who scored zero points, and Keyshawn Bryant, who only scored six points. Those are the guys that missed it the first time. It's not like they had an overwhelming impact, at least in terms of scoring this game but you get all three of them back and it turns into a, an absolute blowout and it wasn't even a game obviously the first part of that was South Carolina hitting 16 threes to win going away in college station they only hit eight threes in this game literally half as many and they're able to win more convincingly so I don't know if that just means it's hard to play on the road in the SEC or if Carolina is just a better team now than the first time they played A&M or A&M's worse or probably some combination of all those things. I think playing at home helps. I mean, when you're at A&M, I don't think they did even did a shoot-around for A&M hmm. when they went out there earlier because the game was so early. So, yeah, uh, it's easier to play at home. It's easier when you play at 1 p.m. Eastern and you can kind of get up and get moving. And I think there were a lot of good things that kind of helped them out. Uh, helps having Justin back on the bench. He was back, obviously, after his surgery. So, yeah, I think it was the the performance they needed a very good palate cleansing performance to into the back eight of sec play and yeah i mean that's kind of the summation of the game it was a good game to get their confidence back yeah and when we spoke last week about the absence of justin Manaya, obviously in the midst of south carolina getting blown out by ole miss it was like okay you got to find your identity and you have a couple of winnable games, for sure Texas A&M, probably Georgia. We're going to talk about that game in just a little bit. 
Uh, Tennessee, you probably still put into that category. Carolina. It's incredibly winnable. It's incredibly winnable. Carolina has to win it. Carolina should be expected to win. I don't know if they'll actually end up being a favorite. I would imagine so because it's at the Colonial Life Arena. But point is, you have some some winnable games where you can sort of rework, revamp, or rediscover your identity without Justin Minaya and regain some of that confidence because Carolina was playing great. They were just rolling. They were firing on all cylinders until Justin Minaya got hurt. We saw a different starting lineup. The first game without Minaya, the Ole Miss game, it was Williams Vec starting at the four. This game it was Lonzo Frank who played 21 minutes. He, he played well but didn't have a lot of stats. Uh, three points, two rebounds, and assists, a steal. Did have three blocks, um, showcasing but, some of that improved, I guess, uh, like positional defense because yes. I mean it was him making nice plays but his blocks I felt like had more to do with him actually being in the right place yeah and um, he had not being few, caught out yeah and he had a few like tip passes too away that I don't think really kind of go on the stat sheet he looked good uh I didn't mean to cut you off there but I mean he finished with his highest offensive rating since yeah I'm looking at the right guy he's finished with his highest offensive rating since Vanderbilt I mean looked good doing it and he finished plus 15 on the game, which is his highest plus minus since going plus 29 against Cleveland State earlier in the year. So this was by far his best game. And I think that you're going to see Alonzo Frank now the rest of the way in the starting lineup until they give Manaya back. Mm-hmm. Unless something weird or catastrophic happens or he just stops playing well. But if he continues to do this, he, he deserves to play. And doing it in just uh, 21 minutes. He did pick up four fouls, which I made a point early in the game. I think he didn't pick up his first foul to like six minutes into the game. And I was like, this is the longest stretch he's ever been on the court. Yep. Without committing a foul, he did pick up four of them and only played 21 minutes. But it was a very, very productive 21 minutes. Plus 15 in 21 minutes is huge. And for as much as you and I talked about, maybe there's going to be you know some flexibility. There are going to be a lot of different starting lineups. It's just going to depend on the matchup. This does feel like a more sustainable kind of unit. Wilden Zavek, you know, coming off the bench, definitely a more natural role for him at this point. Not right. that he's bad when he starts, but you know, he only played 14 minutes. He just he's not ready to do that yet. And Frank, one of the more veteran guys on the team, he started games before this stretch, so it it, it makes sense that he is going to be plugged right in. Now, a lot of a lot of our conversation, I think, in the next you know 30 minutes as we break down what happened in this game and what I still haven't decided as we're sitting here on. Tuesday morning, you know, I've had several days to digest the game. I don't know if this had more to do with Carolina finding the right group, getting its swagger back, I guess rediscovering its identity, and how much of this had to do with Texas A&M just not being very good, which they're not. But they were still 5-4 and four in the SEC. They've been playing all right. But Carolina absolutely just stonewalled them defensively. Yeah, and I think that it's encouraging, especially from the side of your bigs because A&M has some good post players. I mean, Josh Nebo is a top five post player in the conference. So being able to contain him, I think he had, if I'm remembering correctly, like three points and two rebounds mm-hmm. or something crazy yep. like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Three points and two rebounds and two turnovers. So that's what you want your big guys to be able to do. They've been really good at containing big men this year. So that's encouraging. Their on-ball defense in the first half was really, really good. It'll need to continue to be good going into Georgia. But this is this was an encouraging sign. Do I think that Texas A&M is a world beater? No. But you saw some things from South Carolina you needed to see just to kind of cleanse the palate from that Ole Miss game. This was the nice little sherbet after a hibachi dinner. Mm, you go in. Hibachi. Yeah, I know. You go in. You, you just absolutely blow out a bet. Worst team which you're supposed to do if you're South Carolina. 
you get your third win of 20 or more points in SEC play for just the third. This is just the third time in since 2000, which is when I went back, that South Carolina's had has won at least three games by 20 or more points in SEC wow. play. With eight games to go. Yes. And at least one really good opportunity to do that again against Vanderbilt. Yes. So uh, they did it three times in 2017, and I think everyone knows how that season ended. Yeah, they lost their last game. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they did it another time in 2004. Was it the NIT year? No, that was a tournament year. Oh, wow. The last two times they've won, yeah, they made the NCAA tournament. There was a 10 seed and lost to Memphis. Mm. The last time the South Carolina, every time this millennium, that South Carolina has won three or more games in SEC play by 20 or more points, they've gone to the NCAA tournament. Wow. Well, there you go. Hats off to Texas A&M for providing South Carolina with that yeah. opportunity. Uh, you mentioned Josh Nebo, who had an okay game when Carolina played in College Station, he he scored more than I remembered. I think he finished that game with like 18 points, yeah. but only had two Terrible rebounds. rebounding team. Yeah, and had two rebounds again this game. That's, like you're saying, one of the better big men in the SC, and he didn't play a lot on Saturday. He only played 13 minutes. But to hold a guy like that to averaging two rebounds a game over the course of two games is pretty strong pretty for South good. Carolina. And yeah. a, a nice, it's uh, pun intended, but a nice rebound game for yeah. their rebounding because they didn't rebound well against Ole Miss and they did a much better job against Texas A&M. Yeah, and they were they were getting to loose balls. They had some energy. Uh, I think I wrote this in my instant analysis. They just they looked better. It wasn't just like you know you got hot at the right time and you, you ended the game or into the half on a forty-one to fourteen run or whatever it was, and that was it. But you you looked good doing it. It wasn't just like Texas A&M was bad and they're not good, but South that had a lot to do with South Carolina too. That South Carolina could have easily kept them in the game, but didn't and put pedal to the metal um, mm-hmm. the final, what, 12 minutes of the first half and just absolutely demolished them. It wasn't an outrageous performance from South Carolina. They shot 23-59, so under 40%, which is significantly below average for them. They did shoot a little bit above average from three, 8 of 23, which is about 35%, but that's like the difference in one made or one missed three. And for the second game in a row, South Carolina actually shot their free throws well, and they yeah. finally... Shot free throw as well in a game they won. 20 of 27 from the free throw line. You had three guys miss two free throws. No one missed more than two free throws, which was nice. Uh, AJ Lawson went four of six. Jermaine Cousinard, seven of nine. Uh, Trey Hannibal, one of three. Everybody else made all of theirs. Uh, Mike Kotsar, four of four. Frank, one of one. McCreary, one of one. And then you had Jerry Bolden, who hit two of his three. So, I don't, again. Uh, Progress. I, I, th- I think you are what you are. But for Carolina, what that is is, a bunch of guys that can hit free throws that haven't for most of the season. I don't expect them to all of a sudden be a 75% free throw shooting team, but it's good to know that they can have a couple of performances like this. And I think it I think it was you. I don't remember if this was on my local show on 107.5 or the podcast last week talking about just how much confidence plays into free throw shooting. Yeah. And you could see in that Ole Miss game, nobody wanted to go to the line. Every time they nope. did, it was like, Gah. yeah. And, and people were okay with it this game. Yeah, and Frank Frank's talked about that. It's about guys' willingness to go, and he's he's mentioned Mike Coates are last year dreaded going to the line. PJ Dozier had no interest to in go into the line, and now it's just about getting guys more comfortable at that spot and in big moments because you talk about it, and there's going to be some pretty big games coming up that are probably going to go down to the wire. So finally, yeah, I just want to watch you, a close you game would here. hope you would hope so. 
that's it's going to be interesting. So what, I, Arkansas, I, Kentucky, and Tennessee are the only close games that Carolina's played. The only one possession games Carolina's played. Yeah, and you but, can play a close game without it being one possession. Yeah, and, and Florida was close until the final eight minutes right. when you got blown out. Um, Kentucky obviously close. Texas A and M was within whatever. Auburn, not in the second half, but first half was kind of close. I'm going through. Vanderbilt was a blowout. Arkansas was a great game. Missouri was a blowout. Ole Miss was a blowout. Texas A&M was a blowout. Mm. A lot of blowouts on but both sides of it. shaping up to be a fun final eight game. Yeah. So let's do this now. I was going to save this for a little bit later, but let's go ahead and do it now. Oh, is this my time to poop on the net? Oh, no, that'll be later. Okay. That'll definitely right. be later. Um, I mean, we could do that now if you're feeling particularly. No, no, no. Let's, let's it. save it. Let's okay. save it. Well, when, when you and I broke down the schedule, Carolina going into SEC play, we said first five games got to survive. Yep. Two and No worse than two and three. Second second batch of games, you got to go four and one, and then that like last half or those last eight games, you need to go probably five and three, maybe six and two. Yes. So, Carolina's done that. They went two and three. It was an unconventional two and three. Not not they didn't get to two and three the way that we expected. They went four and one, and similarly, not exactly the way that Carolina fans expected, but they went four and one, which is what we sat here a couple weeks ago and said they needed to do, and yet, definitely for me. I know for people that I interact with on a daily basis that will call in or text, you know, on the show. And I think for you, I don't want to speak for you, I'll ask you, does this four and one feel worse than if they had beaten Ole Miss and lost to Arkansas? Yeah. Is well, that right? No. Um I think I think it's frustrating because Ole Miss is a team they should have beaten. Ole Miss is not bad. Their record's bad. But I still maintain that they're a pretty decent team. It's still a quad two loss. But that's a team in all essence you should have beaten. Uh, I know they presented some matchup problems for South Carolina. But talent-wise, consistency-wise, it was just the perfect storm for that. Which is why it's so frustrating because you should have exited this stretch 7-3 and mm-hmm. and 15-8. and And a game back. For the lead of the Southeastern Conference. Yes. It's kind of like the non-con. But I told you that South Carolina would have gone 8-5 and five in the non-con. People would have probably taken that. Whereas they went 8-5 and five with the loss to Stetson. And then people, it's, it's a different 8-5. and five. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different makeup of the 8-5. and five. So, yeah, I think 6-4. and four, If you had told me they were 6-4. and four, coming out of your first 10 games, I would have said that's a win and that puts you in a pretty good spot. But right now, it just it doesn't feel like that. But give South Carolina credit. They've gone out and they've beaten good teams. I don't want it to sound like I'm doom and gloom here. They, they're in a really good spot that if they go 5-3 and three or 6-2, and two, there's a legitimate argument to be made that South Carolina is an NCAA tournament team. You have to go and be 5-3 and three or be 6-2 and two over the stretch to do that. But there is a legitimate path to get to the NCAA tournament. Six and two. I'm not going to say six and two is a lock, but to get to six and two, you're going to need to beat Mississippi State at least one of two times, maybe both times, or like an LSU, a game that you're not supposed to win there. And that's kind of the thing that's been so frustrating and so confusing and so interesting about this season is Carolina's going to have, I mean, I don't know what, what the number of like total quad one wins, but Carolina will have as many marquee wins as the best teams in the tournament or at least the best bubble teams probably yeah. oh. more like good 
quote unquote tiebreaker wins than every other bubble team, but the math is just not going to be in their favor. So six and two puts the math in your favor and would also mean you're getting yet another one of those marquee kinds of tiebreaker wins. Five and three, like puts you close. You probably need to win a tournament game or two. Yeah. Um, which again could be hard for Carolina because they could go five and three. They could they could go five and three and still be a top four seed in the SEC. That's not outrageous at all. No. In which case, you know, your your first game you're probably playing like a five seed. Arkansas or yeah. someone like that. You if you're South Carolina, I think you hope for the five or the six. Um we had a poster on our board kind of mentioned and I agree with them that the double buy is great, but when you're looking for as many wins as you can get, you just need numbers. Yeah, like maybe a, just the single buy is better because then you're playing. You're you're getting like, let's see, because the SEC tournament is weird, and you could play like if you're the five seed, you're playing like the number eleven seed, so that feels. Good, you know what I mean. Like you want to be in that first. Five like Carolina or six. wants to play A and M again. Yeah, you want to play like. So. You're looking. I'm. I'm trying to find the the damn bracket here. It's not helpful. Um, so, if you're the the five seed, you're playing the twelve seed, in the first round of the tournament. The twelve seed right now is Missouri. You feel good about that one, and then you'd go on to play the four seed who would be right now Mississippi State. So that's kind of one of those things where if you're South Carolina, getting the five or the six seed wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So, Because if, if you're the six, then you're also playing Ole Miss again. Yeah, and right now they are the six. Yeah. So if the season so, ended today. Yeah, you'd be the six. So playing Ole Miss in the first round of the tournament on – a Thursday, so maybe too close to the uh, to the last Ole Miss game for Carolina fans to feel good about that. But yeah, but but it's it's hard to beat a team twice in the same season, and especially when both teams are kind of one team is a little bit more talented than the other. So right, yeah, Brian Tyree going for thirty eight again is probably not probably unlikely. Yeah, yeah, probably not going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's a. I, I think South Carolina would obviously take a double bye because that puts you one game closer to the championship game, mm-hmm. but. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for South Carolina to get just a single buy, start on Thursday, and then that gives you, if you keep winning, four chances to earn a win instead of just three. Right. So it's just weird as we sit here and Carolina's done exactly what they needed to, exactly what we not like predicted they would do, but predicted they needed to do. And yet it's just the way that it's happened has frustrated Carolina fans more than it has encouraged them. You know, they're they're right where they need to be. And, it, succeed. and I think the frustrating part for South Carolina fans, and, and I get it, is at the beginning of SEC play, you were like, man, like this the, the back half of the schedule sets up really well. Uh, this is you know really good for South Carolina. And then Mississippi State started playing well. Then Alabama started to be kind of a thorn in some people's sides and has been pretty decent in SEC play. Then LSU started playing. You know what I mean? It's kind of one of those things where, like, all of a sudden, all these teams, Georgia looks beatable now. Georgia's not as good as I think we thought they were at the beginning of SEC play. Mm-hmm. So maybe but, you swap out, like, those Georgia games for the Mississippi State games in terms of, like, what are your expectations for how these games go? Yeah. So, and, and I wrote a good piece, I think it's a good piece, on Gamecock Central about what it would take to make the tournament. Your average number, here's a lot of math coming at you guys. Your average number of 
wins for an at-large team was 23.9 last year. Then eight, there's 36 at-large, at-large bids. So the number's probably a little slanted higher for teams like North Carolina that didn't win it, you know, teams that don't win their conference but still have 27 to 28 wins that are going to get in at an at-large. Your average number of wins was 23.9. Eight of those 36 teams that got in on an at-large bid, so eight of those had 20 or fewer wins. The lowest number of wins for an NCAA tournament team was 19. So if you're South Carolina, 19 is obviously your threshold. I don't think you get in at 19 just based off of two bad losses at home. But if you can get to 20 or 21, that puts you near-ish the average to get into the tournament. It's not unprecedented to have 20 or 21 wins and get in. Especially when you go in with a Kentucky win on your resume. An Arkansas and, win. An Arkansas win. Virginia win. Yeah, you still put that on your resume somewhere. Maybe it's not line one anymore, but <laughs> you still put it on your resume. Yeah, it's still sure. you went into, they were a top 10 team at the time. Mm-hmm. You went in and beat that defending national champion on its home court in December. That was cool. Carolina fans are really pulling for Virginia here down the stretch, though. Yes. <laughs> Play some better basketball, make that win look yes. a little better for Carolina. Um, and, and for the Gamecocks, Saturday was a good start. That was exactly what they needed to do to finish that five-game stretch, and it's some good momentum going into these final eight games. And they have some confidence, and I think they have... I, I, again, I said they were like rediscovering their identity without Manaya. I don't know if this is necessarily always replicable, but we saw a roadmap for what this team could do yeah. to put themselves in a position to still make the tournament in the last eight games. And finally, I think you say, you put it on Carolina's backcourt. For most of the season, it's been Mike Kotsar, it's been Justin Minaya coming along, it's been the bench, A.J. Lawson slumping, I mean, looking for your point guard for most of the season. Obviously, we've talked about how much of a transformation it's been since you put Jermaine Cousinard in there. Cousy. But the two of them combined for 37 points, nine rebounds, four assists, just three turnovers, a block, Played just really, really well. Ten, uh, ten. I guess you say 20, 10 of 21 shooting. Maybe you want that to be a little bit better, but 6 of 14 from 3. Not bad by any stretch. Made most of their free throws. 11 of 15. This is the one-two punch that I think Carolina fans were hoping they would get out of this backcourt, mostly from Lawson and then either from Bolden or Kusnard, whoever ended up being that guy at the start of the season. And I'm not trying to overreact because, again, AM's not super-duper, no. but they were good defensively. They were good offensively. They were pretty efficient. This now seems like it needs to be the identity of the team going forward. Yeah, and this is going to go back to just let's go out and run and get Kusnard and Bryant and Lawson out in space and see what we can do with it and then play. If we have to get held up in the half court and we're not moving fast, then set it up, you know, three out, two in, Frank down low, Wilden's down low, or if Jalen's in, you can play a little bit more four out, one in. Uh, and it, it's kind of tradition. I hate saying traditional because – Frank, he's adapted his system the last couple of years to fit personnel, but it's more of that traditional look the way the Final Four worked, mm-hmm. where it was that Final Four year, where it was Sindarius at the, the three, you had Mike at the, the four, Chris Silva at the five, and it was traditional two guard, one wing, and two bigs kind of play, and I think you're going to see a little bit more of that with some options to go faster if they wanted to. But I did, I don't see Keyshawn sliding over to the four, and it's gonna. I don't think it's a shock that AJ Lawson looked good, and South Carolina played well offensively. No, and he's been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks. He didn't play well against Ole Miss, but his shot's been falling. He's been really efficient over the last 
I don't know, five or six games. I'll have to I'll pull up his game log, but his scoring has been better. He looks more confident. He's attacking both the rim and the offensive glass. His three is going down. As I mentioned, he shot four of seven from three on Saturday. He's not going to shoot four of seven from three every game, but I mean, his last, again, the exception of the Ole Miss game, he shot one of six, but his last couple of three-point outings, four of seven, three of six, three of seven, two of six, one of three, four of seven. That's going back to the first Texas A&M game. And just in general, his field goal percentages or his field goal, like the raw numbers, five of nine, two of 10 against Ole Miss, five of nine against Missouri, eight of 13 against Arkansas, six of 11 against Vanderbilt, four of eight against Auburn, four of seven against Texas A&M. You have to go back to Kentucky where he shot just one of nine. That's like, I guess the tail end of his slump to find a game other than that Ole Miss game that he shot under 50%. And that's been the difference that that was, you know, one of the guys that was going to have to pick up the slack Anyway, he was going to have to get out of his slump for Carolina to get back on track, and especially once Benaya went out to make up for some of that scoring, especially some of the scoring from the outside. Um, and he's done that. And Jermaine Kuznar playing well has certainly eased the burden. But is it is it too early or is it safe, do you think, to declare that A.J. Lawson's kind of back to where we thought he would be at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I think it's safe. I think Ole Miss kind of proves it's a one-off, uh, the way he played against Texas A&M. Um, his last three games, and this includes a really poor performance against Ole Miss, his last three games, averaging 12 points, 1.3 assists, just 0.3 turnovers, shooting 43% from the field, 42% from three, mm. shooting uh, 66.7% from the line, so two-thirds, hauling in almost five rebounds. It's good. It's what you needed. Yeah, and, that, that, yeah, and he's playing efficiently. His offensive ratings since the Vanderbilt game, all but one have been over 120, which is pretty solid. The only one that wasn't was 48 against Ole Miss, <laughs> which rightfully so did not play well. But when you're looking at a 122, a 123, a 154, a 153, uh, most recently against A&M, the numbers are backing up the eye test here. The fact that he looks more aggressive, he's playing a lot better off the ball. It just it, it looks better basketball from him does he still look like an NBA player right now maybe maybe not but he's starting to get into the form I think South Carolina fans needed him to be at at the beginning of the year and in the beginning of SEC play and he's getting there Mm -hmm. I think so and not a moment too soon and also worth pointing out and you just mentioned this but to give you the the raw numbers including that bad game against Ole Miss here are the turnovers from his last five games zero one zero one one yeah that's yeah that was that was, I don't know, the biggest Achilles heel for him. You yeah. could say, yeah, like he needed to defend better, he needed to attack more, but it was the turnovers that I think drove Frank crazy, drove fans crazy, and you know ultimately made it so hard to play him down the stretch in some of those games where Frank Martin decided to go in another direction in terms of that you know second guard, or you know at times when even AJ was running the point. It's it's hard when you're turning the ball over three, four times a game, which he was doing for a huge chunk of the season. Now he is curtailed that and it seems like it's sustainable it doesn't seem like anything that AJ's done in this stretch now of playing well has been unsustainable do you want to know his numbers in the eight games from Clemson to Auburn where he was kind of going through that up and down Mm -hmm. he was averaging 10.9 points per game which is good that's pretty good for for slump numbers yeah uh shooting 35 percent from the field 34 percent from three Shooting a little bit better from the free throw line at that point, 68%, which is, I mean, marginal. Um, averaging just 3.4 rebounds, 
1.3 assists, 1.1 steals. How many turnovers per game, you think? It's uh, 2.6. 3.4 wow. turnovers per game in those eight games. So Clemson, Virginia, Stetson, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, A&M, and Auburn. Uh, since then, he has averaged, or he's turned the ball over three times in five games. That's what you need. That's what you need from your NBA guy. And when you can get that, I don't think it's a secret that South Carolina's, shockingly, won those basketball games. <laughs> the other secret to South Carolina's backcourt success, especially in that Texas A&M game, Jermaine Cousinard, who led the team with 19 points, slightly less efficient game than AJ. He shot 5 of 12, 2 of 7 from 3, did hit 7 of his 9 free throws, added 4 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, no steals, no blocks, 3 turnovers, which, I mean... He still turns the ball over a lot, but he also dishes a lot of dimes. It's, I, yeah. guess, I guess that's what happens when you have the ball in your hands a lot. Um, and in general, I think his assist-turnover ratio for the season is still pretty high. Uh, yeah. Is Jermaine's oh, yeah, yeah. not a lot of one-to-one games like this A&M game was, but yeah. Jermaine, I guess we talked about this a couple weeks ago when Carolina was starting to play well, and we were like, oh, yeah, Justin and I, a glue guy. And then we realized, wait a second, this might have as much to do with Jermaine. Like, Justin probably started playing better because Jermaine's been in there. Jermaine's been playing great. Uh, by his standards, you know, I think just a fine game against Texas A&M, not the best game he's had no. since SEC play started, but still 19 points, 5 of 12 shooting, good defense. He is, is he the fulcrum of this entire team? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. More than AJ. Yeah. Oh, more yeah, than Mike. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. Frank has this weird way to describe it. Jermaine is, how he describes it, the mouthpiece mm-hmm. of the the team. Mike was the glue. And Justin was the spirit. Hmm. So and the basketball, the yeah, the basketball <laughs> holy trinity, I think. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> glue, mouthpiece, and, and spirit. And spirit. Um, at the church of Frank Martin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Jermaine, I hate, I hate, I hate comparing him to this, but he's got a little Sundarius in him. He's got a little... That just that bulldog. I ain't gonna take. Are we allowed to curse? Yeah, sure. I'm. A, I ain't, I'm not gonna take any shit from anybody. Mm-hmm. I am better than you. F you. Get out of my way. Mm-hmm. I'm going. And that's what Sandarius patented for three, four years at Carolina. Jermaine's showing signs of that. He's a leader. He's a. He's the leader that South Carolina's needed since Sandarius left. And I think that he's the kind of guy that. You want to lead your team in South Carolina. Give Mike credit. Give Justin, when he was healthy, credit. AJ, they're playing better because of it. Jermaine, second time this year. Second time in just a couple weeks. SEC Freshman of the Week scored 23.5 points a game last week. (laughs) Just, he, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I mean, he's just... They just put him in the starting lineup, and he's just awesome. He's, he's just good. a really, really good point guard in the SEC. Yep. He's very consistent. He scores. He dishes dimes. He's aggressive. He plays defense. What happened for him? I mean, in the early part of the season, he was you know, a bench guy. Jerry Bolden was a point guard. Like, Where was this Jermaine for most of the first part of the season? Getting used to college basketball. I mean, I think that you just chalk it up to... Anytime you sit out for a year, and yes, you practice, and you can try to keep the rust off, but you know it's different when you go out there and you have to play in front of ten thousand people, eighteen thousand people every night. And the fact that and Jermaine's kind of gotten his feet under him, you've seen that. 
and I think he plays better in the offense that they've designed a little more four four out one in and playing the point. And since he, I mean, his numbers since he took over at the starting point guard spot been effing amazing. I mean, 16 points, three turnovers per game, not great. 3.4 assists per game, so he's still over one. Two rebounds, shooting 54% from two. Hmm. 32% from three, so it's 45% from the field. I mean, dude's just... If he does this for a whole season, he's in the all-conference conversation. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And he's... In some more advanced stats, they're using him a lot. He's sixth in terms of just percent of possessions used in the SEC. Sixth in shots taken, one on the court. 21st in effective field goal percentage when he's getting these mm-hmm. shots. These are all SEC numbers, so just in terms of the SEC. When he's getting these shots, he's converting. Uh, 13th in assist rate, so he's facilitating. 10th in fouls drawn per 40. So he puts his head down and just goes. And, and makes uh, at, at least the majority of his free throws. Yes, and he is 25th in free throw rate. So just mm-hmm. rate of how many times you've gotten to your, you know. Um, he's averaging six drawn fouls per 40 minutes, which is pretty darn good. And it's 12 free throws if they're all shooting fouls. Yes, Sindarius's numbers, whoa. Um... Just to compare in terms of just how good, in terms of a guard, Sindarius, he's averaging six fouls drawn per 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sindarius' freshman year averaged 5.6, mm-hmm. 4.7 as a sophomore, 4.7 as a junior, and 7.7 as a senior. Wow. So he's doing in his freshman year what Sindarius did his senior year in terms of drawing fouls. Wait, Sindarius did it at... Sindarius did it at a much higher rate his senior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's averaging more fouls drawn per 40 minutes. Oh, yeah, these, so these until are his sen- okay. Until his yeah, senior yeah. year. Hmm. That's pretty damn good. speaks for itself. Yeah. Pretty damn so, good. Jermaine, you got to keep it up <laughs> for Carolina to keep winning. Yes. I don't know if you need to score 23 and a half points a game, but that would certainly help. So yeah. if you can keep doing that, uh, I, I think Frank Martin would be okay with that. Let's talk about the glue, Mike. We always thought Justin was the glue, but Justin's the spirit. Mike is the glue, apparently. Yes. he I wouldn't say he was close because he wasn't close in blocks, but 10 points, three rebounds, four assists, four steals, one block, one turnover, one foul. He's going to get the 5-5-5. Five, five, five. I just feel it. He's had enough of these games. Again, I'm not going to say it's close because you're four blocks away. That's that's like a whole yeah. that's like a career high's worth of blocks away for Mike. That's why I'm going to make an exception and say if he turns it over five times, which also doesn't seem... Super likely, or fouls out of a game. I'm going to count Ooh, that five as okay. part of the yeah, five no, by fair, five. But fair. he just continues to do everything for Carolina. There's not much we can say about Mike that we haven't already said about Mike in terms of just consistent all around effort. It was a a good game for him. He didn't really notice him. Played a team high 30 minutes. Just did a little bit of everything. Nothing super flashy. I think he had. A, I think he dunked on Saturday twice. 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 Good job, Mike. Twice. What more can we say about Mike Coatsar? Is he? Now, Frank asked this question. Frank posed this to the media mm. yesterday. Turn the mics on y'all. Yeah. Is Mike Coatsar SEC Defensive Player of the Year? He's definitely deserving of a spot on the all-defensive team. Yes. Oh, by far. Yeah. Absolutely. Jermaine's I, probably all freshman mm-hmm. right now. Continues. He could be an all-conference guy. And Mike is playing his way into the all-defensive team. Definitely. He's... 
just for most of his career, his defensive credit was his versatility, his ability to switch on to smaller players and stay in front of them. But now he's become a more legitimate inside defender. He's, I don't know, he just he looks stronger. He's sturdier in there. He's Confident. not afraid to bang with those guys. He's not afraid to get his hands up. He's blocking more shots now. He's more aggressive on the glass, which I'm someone that considers rebounding part of defense. I know some people yeah. don't consider rebounding part of defense. I do. And Mike's rebounding numbers, again, not huge on Saturday, only three rebounds. Um, but the team rebounded well. And when the team rebounds well, you give the big guy a lot of credit for taking Josh Nebo off the glass. Two rebounds for Nebo the entire game, not in the first half, not in, you know, whatever. Just two rebounds the entire game. You give Mike a lot of credit for that. And Texas A&M did go small um, for big stretches of the game. Yeah. So that's part of it. But even still, I, I think he's got to be in the conversation. I, I don't know. Like, I... I watch other SEC basketball to keep up with it. I probably haven't watched more than four games of any other team. So I don't know if I'm qualified to say who else is like the best defensive big man in the SEC right now. But if Mike's not in the conversation, I need to go back and watch an entire season's worth of tape of whoever does deserve to be in that conversation because it better be hella impressive. Yeah, no, it's... I'm looking it up now. Um... Yeah, do you have like defensive wind shares or something? Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Um, so in my deep basketball reference here, I'm looking at box plus minus. Um, defensive box plus minus, sorry. My coats are third in defensive. In the whole box, conference? Yes, oh, wow. in defensive box plus minus. Adriel Bailey and Josh Niebuhr are the only two guys ahead of him. Uh, when defensive wind shares, he's fourth among the entire conference. So that's not just big men. Fourth in the entire conference. Mason Jones, obviously ahead of him, who's playing unreal. Jimmy Witt at Arkansas, Ashton Hagens, and Mike Kozar. It's not bad. He is fourth in defensive rating. Uh, and Bailey, Wiley, and Jones are the two guys ahead of him. So, it's pretty darn good. So, we're talking about... When you talk about the entire conference, I mean, this is hundreds of players. Yeah. Hundreds of players. And Mike Coates are top five in all of them. Yeah. And it sounds like Josh Nebo and Austin Wiley pretty much share that kind of top three. With Mason him, so Jones, too. Yeah, yeah, Mason Jones. So that's that's kind of your race. Wow. Can you imagine if Mike Coates are, was a defensive player? I, I, I would not have predicted Mike Coates no. being a defensive no, no, player no, no, of your no, candidate no, no, no. to start me, the season. Me either, that's not outrageous, but. No, I wouldn't either. But, but we're, we're having, it is. February 11th, and we're having this conversation, yeah. and it's not stupid. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, legitimate, the fact that we're eight games to go in the regular season, and we're seriously debating if Mike Coaster's defensive player of the year, and that's, give credit to Mike for that, for and putting himself in that race. He's scoring better than he ever has. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, 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 it shouldn't be both. It should be one or the other. His offensive rating is 13 points higher than it's been ever in his career. His freshman year, he had the highest offensive rating of his career, 95.1. He is at 108.6 currently. He is the 11th best offensive rating just when you take conference games. So just in the SEC, he is the 11th best offensive rating at 118. He's scoring 10.2 points a game. First time in his career, he scored double digits. His sophomore year, he scored eight points a game. That was his, that was his second highest. Field goal percentage from freshman year to senior year, 49%, 42.6%. 43.8%, 52.1% from the field is Mike this year for the entire season. Rebounds since his freshman year, 4.8, 4.8, 4.7, 6.5 this year. Assists since his freshman year, 0. 0.7, 1.4, 0. 0.9, 2.0. 0. 
blocks since his freshman year. 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.9, 1.1. Steals, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9, 1, 1.6. Um, <laughs> second highest uh, uh, foul rate <laughs> since, uh, since he had 3.2 personal fouls per game his freshman year. He's at three now, and then 2.8 and 2.9. So, I mean, that that's just a... That number doesn't matter, but everything else has gotten better for Mike. Yeah, no. And, and he's getting better on defense. You, you think if he's spending that much extra energy on the defensive end of the floor, it would maybe take away from his offensive game, but it seems to be feeding his offensive game. Yeah, and and give him credit. He's I mean, we've talked about the fact that he's kind of reset his mind mentally and kind of gotten at peace with who he is. And you're seeing the stats to to, to prove it and give credit to Mike because he could have easily just packed it in and said, I'm done, but he hasn't. And good on Mike. Goats are. Goats are. Credit to Frank. Just the best developer of players. Yeah, and you've seen that with guys. In, and he was asked about it Monday in his press conference. Guys in their senior years are finding years of eligibility. Played pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty low percentage of guys that start at Carolina and make it all the way to their yeah, senior year. It, but if you do, yeah, college like basketball in general, yeah, <laughs> yeah, college basketball in general, you seniors that have been at a, at a school for four years, pretty damn hard to find. Sundarius, mm-hmm. Dwayne, obviously, Justin Mackey, those three guys that helped carry you to a Final Four. Chris Silva, um, my coats are, Sonny Gravitt was sixth man of the year as a senior. Mm-hmm. Frank Booker. Trey Campbell and Wes Myers all had solid years as grad transfers. Maybe Frank Martin should be an NBA coach of one of these like tanky kinds of young teams yeah. or like or like a recent like a recent tanker. Like he should go coach the Memphis Grizzlies because all their players are like twenty three. And Frank Martin seems to love nothing more than coaching like twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three year olds. And he need to get to coach Jaw. He recruited Jaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so. exactly. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Oh man, so great year for Mike. Um, I didn't think there was much more to say about him, but I'm glad you were able to dig up some of those defensive numbers because that's fantastic. The The only thing, I guess there were only two parts. There were three parts of Saturday that were... Four parts, five parts. Yeah, <laughs> I think three is the final number. Three parts from Saturday that weren't great. One, the game was kind of boring. That's not a bad thing, really. But no, if you're winning, <laughs> yeah, it makes my but job was, it makes my job so much easier for blowouts. Yeah, I love a good blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I can write my story and kind of get all my stuff done. Right. Yeah. I, I left with about two minutes to go. Watched a little XFL on my phone while the game was going on. So it was, it was nice to not be, you know, hanging on the edge of my seat wondering what the heck was going to happen. So that's not really a negative, but yeah, it wasn't the most entertaining game. Number two, Carolina did get down nine to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. And then they won by 20. Uh, the only other thing from the game that was not great, and this has been a, a theme, we've talked about this the last couple podcasts, and we're, we're now in AJ Lawson territory. Keyshawn Bryant. Yeah. We thought he was going to be a good sophomore year. We thought that Manai being out, he was going to have to step up, but didn't play a lot. Got into foul trouble, played only 13 minutes. He did, I guess, shoot well, three of six from the floor, but he just, he's had one or two games where he was an impact player, and the rest of them, he's just been window dressing. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, A.J. Lawson was slumping early in SEC play, so you were like, okay, there's time for him to get out of it. And for Keyshawn, you know, he's still got eight games to work out of the slump, and Carolina's going to need him. Even if A.J. and Jermaine and Mike all continue to play well, if Frank continues to kind of anchor that fourth spot in the starting lineup, you know, they can stay afloat, but they're not going to 
probably win any more games that they're not supposed to win unless Keyshawn's able to get back to where Keyshawn needs to be. Is there enough time for him to get that back? Or is it, yeah. are we just chalking up his sophomore year? Is it? Yeah, I mean, there's time to get it back. I think you need that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you need him to be a little bit more aggressive. He played better against A&M um, compared to what he was against Ole Miss, which was, oof. Uh, played better. You just need to see that more, that aggression you kind of gotten to know from Keyshawn, mm-hmm. um, what he was his freshman year with with that, and that just comes with turning him loose a little bit more. Um, and I don't think they're – I say that not saying I don't think Frank Martin's trying to cage him. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying from a Keyshawn standpoint, he just needs to turn it loose and trust himself and play in that structure. And when you do that and you get open court opportunities – He's shown just how good he can be. He's killed a couple guys this year. He has. He has. But it's just he hasn't been able to do it for an entire game or yeah. really even an entire half. It's just he's he's lacking something. Again, I don't necessarily think it's the edge. No. I, I don't know what it is exactly that's missing from his game, but he's just he's maybe it's mental. Because one of the confusing parts about Keyshawn playing pretty poorly this year has been how often he's turned the ball over. Yeah. He's got a really high turnover rate especially when you consider that his usage rate, I, I, I doubt if he's had a usage rate over 15 in any game this season. He's probably at like 10 for most games, would be my guess, or even no. below. He's no? Been, he's been used quite a bit. Really? 28% of possessions against Vanderbilt, 14 against Arkansas, 19 against Missouri, 25 against Mississippi or Ole Miss, 28 against Texas A&M. 28? Oh, I guess he only played 13 minutes. Yeah. So part of it's a low-minute distribution. Yeah. I guess oh, yeah. over the course of a game, when you have when you play just 13 minutes and you turn the ball over twice, when you play only 21 minutes against Ole Miss and you turn the ball over four times, like those are the things that really stick out. He's had one, two, three, four, five. He's got five games of four turnovers and another one, two, another couple games of three turnovers and then a bunch of games of two turnovers. Yeah. The, the only two games he hasn't turned the ball over were Virginia and Missouri. Yeah. And uh, so I, I guess I'm I guess I was dead wrong in terms of his usage rate, but he's still never really asked to be the, he's never asked to be the primary ball handler. You can't turn the ball over that much. No. And he scored 15 points against Kentucky and then missed essentially the next two games, all but three minutes of one game. Um, and it's it's taken him four games to get back to that 15 point threshold, scored seven and four, two and then eight against Ole Miss. So that would have put him at 21 points, six over. So it's, it, it took him three and a half games to get to the 15 points he scored against Kentucky. Mm. He just needs to be more aggressive, and you're see, trying to see that from him. I think that with athletes, and you see it all the time, trust is the biggest thing in their body. When you go through an injury that keeps you out four, six weeks or whatever it is, that – you have to start to regain some trust. And I don't think that he's working back to that. He doesn't look as explosive, obviously, as last year where he was throwing down everything, and I think that's part of the, the offense. But just to be seeing him trust the knee a little bit more, there were a couple times where he could have gone up and just, I mean, demolished a dude. Mm-hmm. And he tries to go up for a layup sometimes. So you see that, and you're like, Keyshawn, just go slam the damn ball. Um and, and that's kind of the part I think that you need to see from, from South Carolina. Well, and that's the part that I wonder, like, is is that just 
something that takes time and you know maybe he's just not going to trust it for the rest of the year and you just have to wait for his junior year for him to feel back 100% again like yeah. I think physically he's 100% when he has those moments when he'll go up and sky for a dunk even if he doesn't finish it he still looks like the Keyshawn of old he can still run he can still jump he can still dunk block you know whatever but it's just his ability to do it consistently and so I, I think that's why it's mental and, and kind of exactly what yeah. you were saying just a kind of a, a trust factor so I, I hope he can get that back I yeah. I don't want to say that I'm skeptical that he can, but I, I feel like you can't count on it. But Carolina is going to need that. And and maybe oh, the rest yeah. of the season just comes down to, can Keyshawn Bryant become a double-digit per-game scorer and play good defense and actually stay on the court for more than 13 minutes or 21 minutes? Can he be playing 28 minutes, 30 minutes, 32 minutes, whatever, yeah. per game? Because they're going to need that. Yeah, and you're going to need... I don't know if you're going to need him to score 13 or 14 or 15 points per game. But 10? But if you get him to 9 or 10 points with a few big dunks, some energy-boosting things there, he plays good defense, which he's going to need to Wednesday, you feel comfortable with what you're getting from him. If you're getting 16 points, 12 points, if you're getting a combined 40 points from Kusnard, Lawson, and, and Kotsar. Which you can, you can kind of bank feasible. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's feasible, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bank. So, if, I mean, That's if you're cool. getting some some solid production from Keyshawn, that makes you feel good about where your offense is. Carolina's bench mob, it's, at this point, it's Jalen, Trey Hannibal, Jair Bolden, with Levesque and Moss getting some other minutes. Yeah. But it's mostly those three guys, which is kind of cool. Uh, Trey Hannibal played 23 minutes. Shot only one of seven, three Oof. points, four rebounds, and assists. A couple steals. Um, he's still fun to watch, even when he's not shooting well or playing well offensively. Yeah. Still like Trey. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? He's so much fun to watch. He and... Even uh, when he's playing horribly inefficient, he's so much fun to watch. He and Jalen. That's that's yes. fun. And, uh, I mean, most of the team, obviously, is coming back next year. I feel like Jalen's probably going to be the starting big for Carolina next year. But it's a shame because you feel like Trey Hannibal and Jalen McCreary could be like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell just like terrorizing opposing bench units if they're both like guys coming off the bench. I'm trying to think starting this is way far out there. Um if you are filling out a lineup and let's say AJ Lawson decides to come back, it's probably it's got to. Kuznard Lawson, Bryant, Manaya, Levesque. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and throw one. Oh, oh, Wildens. Yeah, not Jalen. You got to put a you got to put a traditional big out there. Okay, all right, that's cool. Six eleven. All right, cool. So, so my dream of Trey Hannibal and Jalen McCreary terrorizing SEC benches for all of next year is still intact. Yeah, good. Okay. If AJ Lawson doesn't come back, then yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, then Trey becomes a starter. Yeah, Trey probably becomes your or no seventh. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Seventh is probably your starter at that point, and your point guard, and then Kusnard. Forgot about that. Is your two? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wait. We can't get ahead of ourselves though, because. 2021 is far away, and it is going to hurt. Not it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt not having Mike back. But oh, it's going to um, yeah. You're going to have to figure out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Can't believe that they were talking this. about it like that. I know. can't believe how I'm saying this, but you're going to have to figure out a way to get pro, replace Mike's production. So, yeah. wow. Um, but job, I digress, and that's yeah. still very very far away. Yeah. Point is, the bench rotation has panned out in a way that we had hoped. It and, picks you up, yeah. And we're, uh, we, were, we were skeptical whether or not it would actually happen in terms of Trey Hannibal being basically the number one guy off the bench. Jair Bolden, he's kind of found his role. Eight points. He didn't shoot very well. Two of seven, but he hit two of his four threes, two of his three free throws. Yeah. Dishing a couple dimes. 
Um, since he moved to the bench, I did not prepare this, so I'm looking now. It just feels like he is playing more fluidly within the offense ever since moving to the bench. I feel like his assist numbers have picked up significantly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he his the first game that he went to the bench was was it what that Auburn game? Mm-hmm. That was the that was the first game that uh Jermaine started, right? No, Kentucky was the first game he started. Kentucky was Oh, because uh, Jair didn't play that game. So here are Jair's uh, assist numbers from UMass through Tennessee. Zero. Zero. Three against Clemson. Zero against Virginia. Zero against Stetson. Zero against Florida. Zero against Tennessee. He had six against A&M. And one against Auburn. Two against Vandy. Three against Arkansas. One against Missouri. Three against Ole Miss. Two against Texas A&M. So this could still be... This is could, this could be kind of what we were talking about with Jermaine earlier, where yeah. he just... He's finally comfortable in that role but it's nice to see him yeah. it's nice to see him thrive in yeah that role. and he still needs to be a little more consistent mm-hmm. which i think he's working on but you're seeing signs of a jair that you can trust in, in at times uh still plays a little bit probably too much hero ball for <laughs> frank at, at times but you're getting some solid minutes from him and that's what you need and he's playing a lot better defensively so and good on him yeah better defense and he can still be that spark plug he can still give you 19 points off the bench, which he did a couple weeks ago. Was that against? Yeah, that was against A&M. Arkansas. Or A&M. He gave you a lot against A&M. Yeah. Oh, the first A&M game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he had a good game against Arkansas off the bench, too. Point is, he can still yes. be that heat check guy for you off the bench. He's um, a threat. He's and, a threat. And worst case scenario, he's still going to give you six to eight points, add a little bit of range to what you're doing. Yeah, he had 12 off the bench against Arkansas. And yeah, that was three four straight shooting. games where he scored in double figures. Mm-hmm. Coming off the bench. So that's really nice when you can have that. Two of seven seems like kind of the baseline of what he's going to do, which is not great, but he still was able to score eight points. And to go back to the math that you were doing earlier, you're getting 17 from Jermaine, 13 from AJ, 10 from Mike. There's your 40 points right there. If you can get Keyshawn up to 10, and then you're getting six or so off the bench from Jair, six or so off the bench from Jalen, like Carolina kind of knows where its scoring is coming from at this point, and yeah. it's not like you need someone to go off for you to get to a reasonable number to be competitive no, in most just, of these games. You just need guys to be consistent. Right. And if you can get that, which is easier said than done with a younger team, then you feel good about where you are. It's going to be easier said than done to do that with this schedule coming up to a degree, but, yeah, you feel good. Anything else to say about A&M? Anyone's uh, performance that you wanted to highlight? I think we're good. There we go. A&M in the books. Georgia ahead. That is Wednesday. We're recording this Tuesday morning. Wednesday night, Carolina gets to see Anthony Edwards. Yeah, is exactly right. With no Justin Minaya, who would have taken certainly some of that responsibility. Mostly Keyshawn, I guess. Probably Probably. AJ some. Yeah, you'd figure Keyshawn is going to shoulder the the majority of that load. If he plays. I mean, not like he's not going to play, but. If he logs if he, if he plays, Anthony Edwards is going to play 36 minutes. Yeah. It's probably good for Carolina that that's the only thing that's worth talking about in this game, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very good for South Carolina because Georgia has not lived up to expectations. And I will say Christian Brown getting kind of some minutes, um, I think, to a degree. I think Christian Brown's, yeah, he's, he's kind of getting some minutes. Played local. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Edwards is 6'5", 225. We'll hear his name called probably in the first 10 picks. Easily in the first 10 picks yeah. in the NBA draft. 
first ten, first five. Yeah, I mean, he he's a top ten pick. Um, Keyshawn probably matches up well with him. AJ probably you can match him up. I think I think Anthony Edwards matches up well with Keish with AJ just because neither of them are like Cinderius where they're just gonna be like, I'm not taking your shit. I'm lowering my head and I'm going. Mm-hmm. That's not really Anthony Edwards' game. Uh, but he's bigger than AJ, which isn't hard to do because he is super skinny. <laughs> but he's bigger than AJ. Um, in terms of height and weight, AJ, Keyshawn's, Jalen McCreary, weirdly enough, same weight. Ooh, a little bit tall. Big Jalen game. Big Jalen game? Ooh. Is he going to break Chris Silva and Wilden's Levesque record? Of fouling out in under eight minutes. <laughs> you could do that where it's just like you throw him out there and say, guard him, <laughs> foul as much as you want, yeah. get out there. Kusar actually matches up well with him height, weight-wise. He's only 15 pounds lighter, which is a lot in sports, but hmm. only 15 compared to 178 for AJ compared to 225. So he's only an inch shorter listed. I could see it's feasible that you see some Jermaine. If I'm putting two guys on him, it's Keyshawn or Jermaine. Hmm. You're gonna throw a lot. You're gonna throw a lot. You're gonna, yeah. You, they're they're tweaking. Frank was pretty cryptic about this in his, his press conference yesterday, and and I asked him about it, and he goes, "We're gonna do some some different things defensively. It's not gonna be wholesale changes, but we're tweaking some things. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna." He goes, "I'm not gonna talk about it. I probably won't talk about it after the game either." Because we got to play him again. Yeah, true. So, well, um, I'm excited to see what that plan is. It's going to have yeah. to be something. Georgia was, I don't want to say they were, you know, saving Edwards because they were never in a position where they could afford to, no. you know, throw games. They're not going to make the tournament. They're 12 and 11. They're 2 and 8, I guess, in conference play or 2 and, two yeah, and 8. Or unless two they nine. go yeah. on some unfathomable run to win the SEC. Tournament. Right. You're, you're and in the early part of SEC play, Edwards was playing like 32 ish minutes a game, but the last four games, all 40 minutes against Missouri, 39 against A&M, 39 against Florida, and 36. Now, granted, that was an overtime game against Alabama, but 36 in that game. 36 out of 45 minutes, yeah. Yeah. 23 points, 29 points, 32 points. Just 14 points, 5 of 17 shooting from Alabama. And that's the thing. He's going to take a lot of shots. He's going to shoot 17 oh, yeah. to 20 times, 22 times. And it's just how efficient is he? Against Alabama, 5 of 17. Against Florida, 10 of 17. A&M, 10 of 21. Missouri, 9 of 24. But then he'll have a... You know, 5 of 16 against Mississippi State, 7 of 17 against uh, Tennessee, 8 of 17 against Kentucky. That's the kind of game that you need to force him to have. Now, the other good part of this for South Carolina, the rest of the roster around Georgia is, well, I think it's at least fair to say that Devontae Shuler for Ole Miss is a better second option than anyone that Georgia is going to be throwing at Carolina. So even if Anthony Edwards does the Brian Tyree, which, you know, different kinds of players. I don't know if you necessarily expect that to happen. Even if that does happen, you still feel like Carolina could withstand a thirty-point game from Edwards. He's yeah. done. He's done that that Florida game. He scored thirty-two and they still lost. They lost by six in that game. Um, yeah, I, I think that South Carolina and I said this before the Ole Miss game. South Carolina does a really good job when your team only has one option. When your team is only doing, you know, you you have one guy that can go for thirty. South Carolina is pretty good about containing you. When you got two guys. That can go for 30, like Ole Miss does, a little bit harder. You saw that again. I mean, Arkansas only had Mason Jones, and you saw what happened. Kentucky is kind of the outlier there. But all the others, Auburn had got multiple guys that could go off. 
and did go off. Uh, Tennessee had multiple guys, have multiple guys. Florida has multiple guys. Um, and those are their losses. And right now, Georgia just doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And they're young. And that kind of shows you where they are. And South Carolina's a better team. I think Georgia's pieces, talent-wise, pieces are better. But I think South Carolina's a better team and are is playing as such. When you're playing a team that is so reliant on one star like this, there's always two ways to approach it. You can say, let him get his and take everything else away from everybody else. Or you can say, throw the kitchen sink at him and let these other guys, these other pieces that have been very inconsistent and not very good for Georgia all year, beat Carolina. And this is a game where I feel like that's the approach. Typically, I kind of err on the side of, let whomever get his, and if he wants to score 65 points, you know, so be it. Yeah. But this feels like a game where you just take Edwards out of it, double him, even if you're leaving guys open from, you know, behind the arc, whatever it takes. I feel like as soon as he gets inside the three-point line, you got to double him. Um, You know, trap him as soon as he comes across midcourt, get the ball out of his hands, just make everybody else on Georgia beat you. Yeah. Oh, and I think Frank's talked about that, where he's like, you know, you're going to try to make it so that they play so small. I think South Carolina's got just physically speaking such an advantage here. Their starting center, Frank talked about, was their small forward all, the entirety of his career. Their starting center is 6'9". Hmm. That's, yeah. Um, Christian Brown is playing some minutes at the power forward spot at 6'6". Six, six. Uh, Anthony Edwards also playing some power forward spot at 6'5". So they'll have some physicality there. Uh, I think you take your matchups there. So if you can win, this is one of those games where South Carolina's got to really win their other matchups. A.J. Lawson's got to win his. Whoever's on Anthony Edwards is probably going to give up some points. Mm-hmm. But you know Jermaine's got to win his matchup. Keyshawn's got to win him, his when he's not on Anthony Edwards. Wildens and Lalonzo and Mike have to win theirs. And if you can win yours more than the other guy loses to Anthony Edwards, you win this basketball game. And I think South Carolina's got the team that can go in there and beat Georgia. Now, we'll say this, though, and I know I'm rambling, but Georgia's made a habit of going up big and blowing leads. Mm -hmm. I don't think South Carolina's necessarily equipped on the road to go on the road and try to come back from 16 points down. Mm -hmm. They can do it. They almost had they had a chance to do it against Ole Miss and never capitalized, but this is not one of those games where you can afford a slow start, maybe like you did against Texas A and M. Right, oh, and like other teams like Florida have been able to do. So they lost one hundred and five to one hundred and two to Alabama. Yes, there you go, absolute shootout. Florida eighty one to seventy five. They lost to Missouri seventy two to sixty nine. That was a game they blew a twenty point lead. Yeah, uh, Ole Miss seventy to sixty. Kentucky they lost eighty nine seventy nine. Mississippi State they lost ninety one to fifty nine. And like the games that they've won, and Tennessee was only able to score 63. Georgia won that one 80-63. And then the other SEC game, they won Texas A&M. They won 63-48. to So, I mean, for them, the recipe is we only have one guy that can score. Got to keep it low scoring. So for Carolina, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing for that matchup that you say, okay, we'll just score 80 or 85, and you're pretty much out of range for Georgia because how reliant they are on just one guy. Yeah. But this is this is a Georgia team that likes to play fast. Um, I mean, Frank called it a track meet. I think it's going to be just 
exhausting just how fast it's going to be. Uh, they're horrible, horrible defensively, like bad, bad defensively. And you, that's what you get with freshmen. They, so offensively in SEC play, they're up to, they're scoring 101.4 points per possession. Hmm. Pretty solid. That's eighth in the SEC. The Division One average is 102.5. Pretty okay. They're hmm. an average offensive team. Defensively, they are allowing 110.3 points per 100 possession. Wow. That's eight above the average. Eight points above the average. Teams have an effective field goal percentage of 54.1 against them, with the D1 average at 49.5. They're bad defensively. So Carolina's going to have open shots. Yes. Got to hit them. Yes. I mean, it, it, teams are shooting 56% from two against them. 33.32% from three against. I mean, they're bad. It's just a bad defensive team, and they're reliant on getting extra possessions with their pace, just trying to have Anthony Edwards outscore dudes. And if that happens, they win. If it doesn't, then they don't, kind of thing. Keyshawn, Jalen, Jermaine, AJ, those four guys will all defend Anthony Edwards on at least a possession on Wednesday. Yeah. Is is their work defensively on Edwards more or less important than what they do on the offensive end of the floor? Like, if I told you that Jermaine could have eight points in the best defensive game of his entire career against Anthony Edwards, or a fine game defensively, but he scores another 17, 18, 19 points, which one is more important? The latter. Yeah, I think you need more. You need some firepower because Anthony Edwards is going to – he's averaging like 20 points. 21 points in SEC play. If you can hold him to 15 or 16, he's still going to get he's still going to get his shots. He's still going to get his points. That I don't think that's there's any When they played Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons still scored like 25 points in that game. Mm-hmm. I just looked it up. Um he's going to get points. You just have to be able to kind of match that and limit him in bigger moments and make him inefficient. Because 30 points on 30 points on 13 shots compared to 30 points on 17, 18, 19, 20 shots. Two completely different 30 points. Right. It's all and, about his efficiency. Yeah. Um, and if you're holding them to, you know, whatever it is, you feel pretty good if he's he's doing it and they're missing shots while he's getting to his 30 points or 25 points or whatever it's going to be. His three-point shooting is a real bellwether. 0 of 6 against Alabama. They only lost that game by three. All you need to do is make two of those. Anthony, what are you doing? Uh, six of nine against Florida, four of twelve against A and M, three of twelve against Missouri, three of ten against Ole Miss, uh, one of three against Kentucky, one of eight against Mississippi State, five of ten against Tennessee. He'll take a lot. Yes, he'll take a lot, and sometimes he makes a lot, and that's really really tough. Carolina's been on the wrong side of that a couple times. It seems like this year. Um, I don't remember what his numbers were from three, uh, Brian Tyree against Ole Miss, but. That was kind of the story in the Auburn games. Devin Cambridge coming in, hitting all of his threes, and then he didn't score for like several games after that, like at all. That sounds, which is pretty accurate. So, I, the, I mean, the track record says this is probably a game where Anthony Edwards bounces back from his 0 of six three point shooting night against Alabama, and that could be a, I mean, the, the difference could be as simple as that. But you got to make him just take a lot of shots Yo, and hope that absolutely. he misses some of them. Yeah, and I think South Carolina's got the. There's not another option on this team. So if you can contain him and, and force him to 
work for everything he gets, which will then detract from the offense as a whole, you feel good about where you are. So, yeah. Win? Lose? Close? I think they win. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. All right. All right. Do you want to know? Dev- I looked up Devin Cambridge's yeah. stats. Yeah, give it to me. Um, so he scored, what, 26 against Carolina? 26 against Carolina. He has yet to score 26 combined points the rest of the way. He scored, now granted he had 21 against LSU and still has not gotten to 26 oh, wow. points. He went scoreless in one, two, three, four straight games after South Carolina and scored 21 against LSU. So he, he used up all of his buckets against Carolina. He's a once-a-month heat check he kind of guy. He went 7 of 10 from 3 against LSU. For, against LSU. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. I wonder if he's the favorite player of Auburn fans or the least favorite player of Auburn fans. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. that's probably true. Oh, boy. All right, so yeah, if you're Carolina, just hope that Georgia doesn't have one of those performances from either one of their pieces, and you hope that it's not a 6 of 9 or 5 of 10 kind of three-point shooting game for Anthony Edwards, but I, I too, feel reasonably good about this game. I'm very curious to see what exactly Frank Martin's game plan is in terms of containing Edwards. I think that'll be a fun kind of kind of chess match to watch and see how many guys he throws at him. I yep. feel like Jalen could maybe be an X-factor in this game, which would be kind of cool for him. You know, someone that's, that's seen an increased role and has been playing well and is just so impressive with his athleticism and feel for the game. He's obviously still a very raw, unrefined player, but I just I really like his potential, and this could be a... It's going to be a real building block, a real game that you look back and say, remember in his freshman year when he guarded Anthony Edwards on, you know, 15 possessions and yeah. Edwards was like one of seven on this, you know, yeah. something like that. I don't know. It was good. You'd, um, you'd feel good about that. Could be good. Could be good. Um, all right. Anything else on Georgia? No. They're bad. We, uh, we're running a little over. We're, as we get more into bracketology talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to complain about the net. And it's explain stupid. it to everyone. And, it's stupid. And tell people that it's stupid. Um, we don't have enough time for that today. Just know it's dumb. And I'll have yeah. a piece later today on Gamecock Central for our lovely subscribers. Here, I don't know when this is going to come out, but it should. This It'll piece be should, Tuesday this, afternoon. This piece should be live by the time you're listening to this. Perfect. Um, where you can go in there and ask me a lovely question of why do you hate the net so much, and I will gladly give you an explanation as to and why. And then this we'll thing. we'll get into that in these on this uh, podcast one of these days as we continue to talk bracketology and net and all the things that Carolina is going to need to do and need to have happen to get in the NCAA tournament. But they still have a chance. Got to get it done against Georgia first, and we'll be back on Thursday to tell you what happened in that Georgia game and then look ahead to the weekend for South Carolina, Tennessee coming back into the CLA. Chance for revenge. Carolina should have won that game the first time. Yep. definitely win this game the second time, but we'll have all of the Thursday podcasts to talk about that. So thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to read Colin on GamecockCentral.com. Check out that piece about South Carolina in the net. Ask him questions about why he hates the net. Follow him on Twitter, at Colin Taylor with a Y. I'm at Pearson Fowler. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. We'll talk to you Thursday. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.